Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Today I'm going to talk to you about um, He will fight for you, as we have been talking to each other about that. Uh, But I want to do it a little bit different than we uh, used to do. And I need to kind of... uh, uh, Zebele, what have you done? It must be you. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, let me just restart this because it's somehow it has decided. No, I just called your name because I needed to. I needed to kind of blame someone. That's fine. Um, Broad shoulders. Broad shoulders. I knew you could take it. Okay, can I go back now? You 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 can. You can. You can go back. All right. Let me see if it works. Ah, it works. You see, I just needed Zabilla here in front. Thank you, Zabilla. Um, <laughs> so what does it mean for uh, us when, when we say God fights for us? Um, I don't want you to share it. I want you to ask yourself in your heart. When somebody says to you, God fights for you, what does it mean? Now, I asked a lot of people in preparation for um, today's sermon what that means for them. I got some great answers. I got some shocking answers as well. Um, but a lot of the answers were uh, like protection, provision, and, and I had this fire drill in my, in my back of my head as I listened to the responses because people would say, yeah, when God fights for me, it's, it's, it protects me, it, it, and it, it is provision for me. And a lot of these people, when you talk to them about messages out there that they don't agree with, they would say, we disagree with the health and wealth message. But yet, when we hear God fights for us, we fall into that, that category very quickly, very easily. It's so easy to slip into that. And I'm not saying that God doesn't provide I'm not saying that God doesn't protect. He does, definitely. Uh, But he does it on his terms. And I want to um, start today in a a different way. I'm going to ask Carl to read Acts 6 and 7 to us. I know it's a long section. Carl asked me, are you sure the whole of? But I'm going to ask Carl to read that to us. And as he reads it, I want you to ask yourself, how did God fight for Stephen? Because I'm going to ask you that after Carl has read. Thank you. Hello? Yeah, it's too late. Um, Come on. Okay, so for anyone who has their Bibles here, if you don't have your Bible here, um, or if you have your phone here. uh, Okay, so let's start. It's Acts 6. 
now from verse 1 whole thing okay now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, they said before the apostles, these they said before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Crianians, uh, and the, of the Alexandrians, of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy, holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him... All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him. And though he had no child, and God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could not find food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred. 
75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died. And he, our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Amor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended an oppre the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wrongdoing his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and he gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me to slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, and images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of the witness in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses, directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua, when they disposed the nations, that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, 
or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they were killed, though they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Thanks, Carl, and thank all of you for allowing me to do that. Um, I think it's very important for what I'm going to do. It's important for you to have the complete context, and that's why I asked Carl, Carl to read the whole context. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you many questions today. I want you to answer the questions in your heart because if you don't answer it for yourself, it won't be as effective as I'm hoping for today uh, to be. So the first question is, how did God fight for Stephen, the one that got stoned in the end? How did God fight for him? Let's, let's have a look at that and start right from the beginning. In the beginning, they had a challenge. There was a spiritual and there was a physical challenge. Um, the physical challenge was the feeding of people, and the spiritual challenge was the feeding of people in a spiritual way. It's very interesting that they, the apostles said, we will dedicate ourselves to prayer and sharing the word. Now, when people hear the word prayer today, I find that they often have a specific thought when they hear prayer. Why do you think they said they must pray? Just answer that for yourself. You see, if you thought they were praying for other people and praying for um, the congregation, uh, you were probably not incorrect. But I think the reason they put the prayer and the, and the preaching together is that they built relationship with God and then they started preaching. In today's, uh, today's day, a lot of people that I speak today <laughs> with my day is stuck somewhere. Um, a lot of people that I speak to, when I speak to them, I realize prayer to them is a wish list and not a relationship building tool. Not discussing with God, but asking God to do specific things. And I think we must be very careful that we don't make God into our tool, but that we stay a tool in His hand. That we remember who holds the tool and who doesn't, uh, because that is extremely important for us going forward. Let's have a look at Stephen. So Stephen, they say, was of good repute, uh, full of the spirit and wisdom, just like the others. Then they mention him again, and they say they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Then they mention again uh, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs amongst the people. 
There were people that were trying to dispute with, with Stephen, uh, and it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. These guys had to start getting false witnesses. It's very important to note what they charge him with. They charge him with Moses. Uh, they charge him with God. They charge him with the temple and him not respecting those three. But after all of this, it says that they looked at him and he looked like, uh, his face looked like the face of an angel. Some translations say his face was shining. And, and I was reminded of another section where somebody's face was shining. It was Moses, where he came down from the mountain. He had been with God and his face was shining because he was in the presence of God. So Stephen was not only a person that was of good repute. He wasn't only a person that did amazing things. He was a person that spent so much time with Christ and was so close to God that it seemed like God's glory was shining through his face. How amazing. If there was ever a guy in the Bible that we could say he was a super Christian, Stephen would be the dude. Now, does your theology work with Stephen's end? Because I find that Stephen is a challenge for many of us. Because somehow, speaking to people, I, I, I realize people try to diminish what a, what a great person Stephen was. He was an amazing servant of the Lord. He was, he was that super Christian, if there ever is such a thing. So there was nothing wrong with Stephen. There's no reason for Stephen to deserve anything less than all of us deserve. But you see, for some of us, there's a challenge that we experience that is different to others. And we ask ourselves, why me? And I don't have the answer. But I want you to hear today if people start telling you it's because you don't have faith, remember Stephen, a man of faith, that super Christian, and what he went through. So after that, uh, the high priest asked Stephen, so uh, are these things true, all these lies they told about you? And I asked myself, what would I say? How would I have answered these people. How would you have answered these people? Would you have said, no, of course not. I never did that. They, they are misinterpreting uh, my words and, and whatever. So when we look at a person that is like Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, it, there's a few things that you always see. These people look away from themselves and they look toward God's purpose. They become less important. And they say, like John, I need to become less and he needs to become more. That is the typical response when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Not glorifying yourself and putting yourself in the middle of the, of the picture, but standing aside and allowing the picture to reflect the one that's truly important, who is Christ. So, 
He started with this. He first told them about an impossible promise that Abraham never saw. How many times have you heard in your spirit, you heard that God has got a plan. He's got this good thing for you. And you don't see it. Do you lose hope? Abraham didn't. And Stephen mentioned him specifically because he wanted to highlight that. We always say God was not surprised by history. In this section, it, it proves it so sweetly. Stephen mentions that God told Abraham what's going to happen to his, um, his whatever, his children's children's children, whatever you call that. Descendants. Yeah, thank you for sending that message to me. Um, there you go. So then it starts speaking about how Joseph was um, uh, 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 sold into slavery. And it's amazing how, how this section stops with, but God was with him. But God was with him. He sold into slavery, but God was with him. How would you feel if your brothers capture you and sell you into slavery? Would you feel like God is with you? So often we ask ourselves, but it doesn't feel like God is with me. I think we should be very careful to listen to our feelings. And we should start listening to what God promises. Because his promise is true whether you feel it or not. Then there came affliction to salvation. The, the Hebrews had a lot of affliction from this king that never knew jo Joseph. And they had all of this terrible stuff. Their children were killed. And they experienced this affliction. But this affliction in this text is the preamble to salvation. This is the thing God allowed to happen for them to be saved. If I asked you to, to raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to physically do this now. Who of you were called to God in a very, very tough and difficult time. Yeah? I think a lot of us were. I don't think there are that many people that were called to God when they were doing amazing. Because you see, our fallen nature, as soon as we are doing very well, we start to think that we are good enough. We don't need God. And this is why the Bible says we should rejoice when we have tribulation. Because tribulation is not always bad. It should drive us towards God and not away from God. Now, we have a very difficult question. Why did God choose Moses? Of all of those children, what about the rest? Why did he just choose Moses? What about all the other parents that had to suffer in that time? So, I want to say, God knows. I don't know. The challenge here is, we often try to figure out why God does things. That is like the pot figuring out why the potter makes things the way the potter makes things. 
we start at the wrong point. Because you see, as we ask these questions to ourselves, and I've been there so many times, and we all will still go through that, I'm sure, but we need to remind ourselves, what position are we taking in this question? Because in this question, we are becoming the potter and God the clay. And if you manage to get that answer right, you've managed to do what you should never have succeeded to do in my mind. You've managed to build a God out of clay that works the way you want him to work. I want to say to you today, when you've got to that point where you figured God out and where you can say, my God would never have done that, you're not serving God. You're serving something you created. I just recently, we explained to Nathaniel that some people pray to kind of stones and whatever, and, and in the morning, he sat on the bed and we were all chatting, and suddenly he sits there and he says, uh, so he, he instructs his siblings, so you mustn't pray like this because then you're praying to a stone. I don't want to do that with you today, but I do want to awaken your thoughts towards that. And you ask yourself, do we really, really, truly um, believe in the God of the Bible, or have we created one in our minds? So then God sends this, this help, and the help is rejected. Very typically, the help is rejected. Moses wants to help them. It's interesting, he was 40 at this time. Uh, 40 is always the number of testing. So God tested the, the people, tested uh, um, Moses in this time, and he came to the point where he wanted to be the savior of these people, and they rejected him. So our response to rejection is pretty much what Moses did. He ran, and then he tried to create a, a, another kind of family to save yeah so often when we get rejected from a place where god has called us to we start to look at something else to do instead of keeping the instruction we received and keeping the direction we were put on you see god does not change his purpose he waited for 40 more years and then he said to Moses, after 40 years, the testing time again, so go back and do what I instruct you to do. God's purpose never changes. We might think it changes. We might think he's surprised. But it never changes. His purpose never changes. So God chose the rejected to save. How many times have, has the enemy told you you're not good enough for God to use you? How many times have you not done things because you feel like, I, I, you, I have this thing, you see? Moses basically wasted 40 years and God still used him. Yeah? So I think he can use you even if you wasted the last 20, 30, maybe 40 years. Hopefully you haven't. But he can still use you. Okay. So Moses directed to Christ which is so amazing. Stephen used this time, where remember these people are accusing him, he used this time to direct them 
to Jesus. Stephen used what they gave him to direct them to Jesus. Stephen wasn't concerned about himself dying. He was concerned about them dying without accepting Jesus. Did you, did you note in the text we read, they said many priests came to the faith. Stephen wanted these people to accept Christ. That's why he directed to Christ. So, that is also why he used this whole long section where he showed, although you rejected him, he gave grace. Although you rejected him, he gave grace. And he wanted these people to turn to God. Would you pray for the person that wants to kill you? <laughs> Would you be the one trying to, 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 to share the gospel with them while they're intending to kill you? You see, God is bigger than what we think. Yeah? Stephen tells a story where they try to make a, a temple and fit God into the temple. And, and Stephen says, but God is not so small. He doesn't fit into that small thing. But we still do the same thing today, don't we? Today still we try to build a religion that God needs to fit into. We try to put him in a spot and say, this is where he is. Instead of believing that God is greater than we can ever imagine. And taking the word and what he's given to us and, and running with that and allowing him to guide us. We stick to tradition very often. And I've fallen into that so many times. Then Stephen rebukes them. Now you would say, but that is not loving. And I want to say to you today, if somebody's going to hell and you don't want to Rebuke them in a loving way. I want to say to you today, are you loving? Very often we, we shy away from rebuke because we say it's not loving. I'll tell you what, letting somebody die and go to hell is not loving. Sometimes rebuking is, is not loving to yourself because it's not a nice thing to do. But we need to remember to do it in love. Just this week in our Bible study, we had guys mention how they were so rebuked um, and, and how that was not done in a loving way. We need to do it in a loving way. But we need to tell people when they're not on the right road. So their response to the rebuke was that they started to get angry. His response to their rage was that he started focusing even more on Christ. You see, when people attack us about what we believe, if, that, if you are so lucky that that happens to you, then you need to focus even more on Christ. Stephen saw Christ sitting at the right hand of God. Stephen saw where his Lord is. He saw his position, and that gave him courage to carry on. So their response, or they, yeah, their response was that they didn't want to hear him. Then um, his loving response was that um, he actually told, hey, while they're stoning him, he actually got, asked God not to do this, um, hold this against them, and ask God to take up His spirit. I. I know this 
man that uh, he told me the story later. Somebody told me it was actually about himself, but he was too embarrassed to kind of, well, not embarrassed. He was humble or whatever, I suppose. Um, and he, <laughs> so he told me about how he met this Muslim man that was known for killing people. And as he, he pushed him over, uh, he grabbed a big rock and wanted to crush his head. And while he wanted to do that, he did the same as Stephen did. He prayed for him. He prayed that God would save him and that God would not hold this against him. This man could not take that. He said to him, I've heard people squeal. I've heard people swear at me, but I've never heard somebody love me so much that while I intend to kill him, he prays for me. And he gave his life to Christ. Now, this didn't happen to Stephen, but it happened to this man. Why? I don't know. That is God's plan that is different for us all. But Stephen's death is not less glorious than what this man experienced. You will note that they laid the, the clothing down at the feet of Saul. God's plan never stops. It just continues. We might die along the road, but his plan continues. In Revelation, we read that they um, conquered the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. I think today, death has got such a great grip on us and our society. So many people walk around so fearful of death. And we don't realize that our faith can take that fear away and make us free. So how did God fight for Stephen? I think he removed the fear of death and replaced it with love of Jesus and of people. And I hope he'll do that for us too. Because I, I think that is in his purpose for all of us to experience. In Hebrews, we read that, um, that through death, Christ might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, when we are afraid of death, there's a lot of things we will not do. There's a lot of things that will scare us, that will keep us as slaves and not as free children. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 to 58, we read, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because he's given us the victory, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So often we feel, what, what, what difference does it make, what I'm doing? It's God that makes the difference. It's not us that make the difference. May God remove the sting of death 
which is sin, and the power of sin, which is what the enemy uses to condemn us with, because we can't keep the, the, the law perfectly through the knowledge and trust in Jesus. Only then can we truly be free to obey and win in these times uh, and the times to come. Praise be to Jesus for his gift of salvation that makes all else fade in its glory, which is only a result of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for the gift of salvation. We praise you that we know that death is not the end, but that death is just a stepping stone. Lord, I praise you that you today grant everyone here the opportunity to turn and repent and accept you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that you will set people free from the hurt they've experienced, from the the things that they were told, the lies that they've believed. I pray that you will grant them freedom from the fear of death and make them all, and me, free people. I pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.